Then, as before, I threw myself down before the Lord for 40 days and nights. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Then young women will dance and be glad, and young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went uh, with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Let's get physical, physical. We are, uh, we are in the midst of this kind of very unique, I'm just going to say weird, series that we decided would be valuable for our church. Um, and I mean, you know most of us, the reason that we choose series is just so that those of us that are leading feel like we have some continuity because we know most people are like, we don't care. We just want to be encouraged each week. But, um, but anyways, this idea of uh, there's this passage in John 4 where Jesus is talking with this woman. She's a Samaritan. Big, complicated story, beautiful story, but breaks, Jesus breaks down all these barriers. We've told it each of the last three weeks. Um, and in the midst of it, she asks him a question, and she says, well, my people think that worship looks like this and connection with God, and your people says it has to, say it has to happen in the temple. What's the deal? And Jesus says, listen, a time's coming and is already here where all God's people worship in spirit and in truth. And the idea is, listen, because I have come, I'm going to break down all of these barriers, and you are going to see expressions that are beautiful and dynamic and diverse as people move toward the way of God. Okay, And so we decided to challenge or to do some norm engineering at our church is the phrase that we like to use. And what that means is um, many of us have come from a specific culture, not the same culture always, but a specific culture where we are familiar with certain ways of relating to God, certain ways of viewing the world and its systems, certain ways of, um, of understanding church. And so our goal is to shake that up just a little bit and remind each of us that there are various expressions of what it means to be, to be the church. And some of them you might not be that comfortable with and you need to make space for. And others might be opportunities for you to step in and experience God in a whole new way. So we talked um, during MLK weekend two weeks ago about traditions of justice and ways that people within the church motivated by Jesus pursue justice in ways that might be outside of your norms um, and, and what that looks like on, from lots of different directions. Then last week, Dwayne took a, a challenging topic and did a great job with it, talking about traditions of liturgy, which can sound like, to be honest, at the church like ours, that can sound like the most boring thing ever. But the idea behind it was learning to embrace different practices in the historic church. Now, we're going to kind of do a little bit of that, but in a completely different way uh, today with, with a, couple of, uh, a couple of scriptures and, and looking specifically at traditions of movement, which I know sounds super odd, and, uh, and some of you who love to move, you're like, bring it on. But, um, but the word, John talks about the word became flesh, is how John's creation narrative goes in the Gospels. How, the, how, how John tells the story of Jesus coming. The word, this idea, this ethereal thing, becomes flesh. Logos becomes sarks. Sarks is this Greek word that means like fleshiness. All right, so this idea that, that something that was invisible becomes something that is completely tactile and visible. This is how 
the book of John talks about Jesus coming into the world. The word becoming flesh. The word becoming embodied, we might say. All right? Uh, God's value of physical realities and our human bodies has always been central to the story. Uh, When Jesus sees a broken body, he is moved with compassion and he heals it. It's physical. Um, When he feels sorrow, Jesus weeps. Uh, When he cries out to God, he falls face down on the ground. In his body, he expresses his spirit. It's it's how we're wired. Um, I love this passage in Romans 12 when uh, this is right after explaining, Paul is writing to, the, to Jews and Gentiles alike, but it, it's right after explaining that God's mercy is available to everyone, to, to Jewish people, to Gentile people, that there's no separation for who can receive God's mercy. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, God loves all of you, He's specifically reminding them that there are not unclean people because they were Gentiles. That God has declared them clean and beautiful and acceptable children of God. And he says, so listen, this idea of being unclean, offer your whole bodies to God. Because often there were viewpoints that said, well, the body is unclean. The spirit is what matters. And there was this disconnection between the two. Our bodies are central to how God made us to express ourselves and to connect back with him. Our spirituality is connected to our physicality. Now, this is not a talk about, like, healthy living at all. This is a talk to remind us that our spirituality and our physicality are connected. Here's, here's, the, uh, here's the challenge, though. We cowboy and you. I felt like I was on a spaceship. And uh, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Uh, be good just to hold them down by okay. your side. Yeah, great. Well, we were real happy with um, with what was going on. And uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, you got to be happy. So the reality is many of us are just not, not very comfortable with our bodies. We're not sure what to do with our hands. Um, there's this great, this great little uh, theater song. It's not well known, but it's called What Do I Do With My Hands? It was a part of a cabaret kind of a thing that Bethany sang in years ago and it was it's absolutely hilarious but the whole thing is like I'm not comfortable in my body and I don't know what to do about it and to to be honest many of us come from cultures that are less comfortable with our bodies than a whole lot of the other cultures around the world some of you might come from more embodied cultures where the physical elements even how you mourn how you deal with death is much more physical in other cultures than it is in in typical specifically in white American culture um, but but there's, it's, it's really interesting and important for us to, to reflect on the fact that often, in, in lots of various ways, we're not comfortable with our, our bodies. We don't know what to do with them in our walk with God, and therefore we can see them as a distraction or as an irrelevance, okay? Uh, so, so it's either something to ignore or something to transcend, and this is, this is what we end up doing in order to get true connection with God. Over the centuries... Many movements have arisen that have specifically kind of um, supported that notion uh, within the Christian faith to downplay the body and the earth, honestly. The ascetics, they suggested that our bodies are evil, okay? And that that because our bodies are evil, we, you know, Jesus didn't even come. Actually, so 
the ascetics said that. The Gnostics then said that the body was meaningless, but either of them kind of pointed out that the value of Jesus' humanness was not actually as important as his spirit, as, as the fact that... So, so some would even have argued early, this is when John was writing his letters in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, some, some argued that uh, Jesus wasn't really even there in the flesh. It just looked like it. But God would never demean God's self to the point of becoming a human being. And so it just appeared that way. Like, he was a vision. He was, he was, it just looked like it, but God would never actually enter humanity. It's too physical. It's too physical. Okay? So this is why this is such a, a valuable conversation for us to have. Um, but, but using our bodies in ways that specifically help us move toward God is a gift. And it's something that we should be able to receive um, in fullness. One of my favorite little stories happens in, uh, in 2 Kings 5, an Old Testament story. And there's this guy named Naaman, and he's an Aramean, okay? And, which is an enemy of the, the Israelite people. And he's a, a general, okay? So he's a leader in the army that is the enemy of Israel. And it's a great story. I, I want to tell the whole one, the whole thing, but I can't because that's not relevant to us now. So the fast-forward version is that this guy gets leprosy, okay? Leprosy was like a deal-breaker for most people. It caused them to be, um, to be pushed out of their whole community and to live in a colony on their own. Now, because he's super wealthy and because he can kind of cover up his skin with his general stuff, he deals with it more quietly and continues to try to live, live uh, among his people, but he's suffering. So they have this servant who has been captured, who is an Israelite girl, okay, and they captured her in a conquest and took her in as a slave. And it's every bit as bad as it sounds. And in this insane story of redemption and enemy love, this woman who has been taken from her home actually cares for her owners, for the, the, one, uh, the ones who were responsible um, for doing, doing this. And she finds out that he's sick. And she says to his wife, hey, this general, he needs to go to the king of Israel. They can heal him. And so, amazingly, he gets permission. He brings all this money, all this goods, goes to the king of Israel. King of Israel flips out because he's like, I can't heal this guy. You're trying to set me up so that we go to war. Like, you want me to fail. This is a trick. But then, this guy named Elijah, he's a prophet. He hears what's going on. He's like, send him over to me. So, he goes over. And uh, interestingly, Elijah is so great. He doesn't even, so here's this super powerful guy with all this money. All, he's bringing like, like truckloads of gold and all this stuff behind him. And Elijah doesn't even come to the door. He, he sends one of his assistants. He sends, he sends his, his servant to the door who answers it and says, here's what you're supposed to do. And, and so anyways, this guy named Naaman, big, big guy, really important, big title, super ticked off about all of this. So here's what ends up happening when he finally shows up at Elijah's place. He says, Elijah sends, sends a messenger and says to this guy, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, the, okay, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman was angry, right? I thought that surely he'd come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and like, cure me. Like I thought I would just be standing here, not doing anything, and then it would, it would, it would get fixed. But in this story, that's not what Naaman has to do. In this story, Naaman has to go to the Jordan River, and then he complains about which river, too, because it's like Jordan River is kind of a trashy river. We don't really talk about that. It was, it was kind of muddy and polluted and not, not as beautiful as the other rivers around. 
just a perfect embodiment of the story of God, to be honest. It's just awesome that the Jordan River is so central because it's, it's just like Bethlehem. It's just like Nazareth. It's just this like powerless, tiny thing that God takes and does something beautiful with. But anyways, so he finally goes. He doesn't want to go. And his servants are like, we came all this way. You're not even going to give this thing a shot. Like, humble yourself just a little bit. So he finally goes. And he dips once. Gets out of the river. Nothing. Tries it again. Nothing. How many times? Seven times. Okay. Got to go seven times. So he keeps going. He keeps going. He keeps going. Nothing happens until he enters the water the seventh time. When he comes out, his skin is clean and fresh and healed. And the reason that that story is significant to me, in, in my mind, um, is, is there is this incredibly physical process that is involved in Naaman's healing. And, um, and what we see is that this physical process of going over and over, even in an act of obedience, seems to be crucial, all right, in his healing. It's, yes, there's a spirit of obedience that's here, but it's also being willing to move in obedience that seems to open doors to healing, at least sometimes. Moving with God, and I actually mean moving with God, can be one area that facilitates our healing. It will mean going to new places. It'll mean meeting new people. It'll mean stepping into new practices and steps of faith, sometimes uncomfortable ones. So we're going to play around with this a little bit and explore four areas where we can move out of our norms and into a tradition of movement that may open the door for deeper connection with Jesus. All right? And uh, I'm just going to lay it out here. These are by no means exhaustive, okay? And they're not like, they don't rhyme, and they're not alliteration or anything. They're just, as I, I know, I, I do like alliteration. I did it two weeks ago. It's all P's or something like that. But, um, and I also didn't think about what I'm going to use up here. So we're just going to, we're just going to go. All right, so the first, the first one, let's see. Uh, I am going to try to do pictures. Um, let's see. Ah, that's horrible. Um, okay, uh, we're going to use pictures and words today. So the first, the first thing I want to encourage you to do and consider doing is adjust your posture, okay? And when I talk about posture, it looks like he's doing, like, with my students that I coach, like, sometimes we do those, like, those chair sits for 45 seconds where you go down. But I, he's actually supposed to be kind of kneeling, or she. There we go. That's better. Hey, all right, now we're on track. Okay. <laughs> That is such a small change. It's so, so good now. All right, sweet. <laughs> Love it when my art is high quality. All right, so the postures, there's, there's ways of doing postures. And, and when I'm talking about postures, I'm specifically talking about postures that help us move in, in worship and prayer. But there are postures of humility and there are postures of freedom. And the, the tendency probably is that you, you are drawn to one or the other. And another way to say that is there's postures of reflection and postures of celebration. Okay, but what we see in the scriptures, we see postures of humility are movements like bowing, movements like kneeling, movements like laying on the ground, you know, and it's, and, and, and sometimes you've seen these expressions, even movements of, of just stillness. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's a physical thing to choose to be still. 
Um, but but these, are, these are movements of humility, of quieting ourselves, and of, of reminding ourselves that God is good, and God is greater than us, and we are not the center of the world. And it's beautiful. And sometimes, if, if you've grown up in a, uh, in a very, let's, let's say if you've grown up in a very charismatic culture, then that might not always be as much as you've experienced because you've experienced a lot of the opposite side, which is the celebration side. So the celebration side might look like um, lifting your arms, opening, clapping your hands, dancing, whatever that might look like. Um, and, and there's beauty and there's freedom in these expressions. The point is, sometimes we're not actually intentional about practicing things. And I'm not talking about in front of people. You've got the whole, like, I don't care what that looks like. I'm talking about becoming comfortable enough with our bodies that when we are sensing or feeling something, we can express it. Okay, as simple as that. The goal is not to turn everybody into the same type of worshiper. It's to say we have opportunities sometimes. There have been times where I've been alone where I am not a, uh, um, like a, a prescriptive person by any stretch. I do whatever I want that helps me connect with God. <laughs> but there have been times where I've been alone where the only posture that opens me up is, is a posture of kneeling for whatever reason. There's just something about like, God, I'm, I feel like I just need you right now. And then there's times, usually when I'm out alone in the woods or running or something like that, where I just want to, I'm so overwhelmed with the beauty, I just want to open my hands up and be free in an act of worship. And, and these things are things that I'm learning to, to be comfortable with instead of just keeping everything up here. And so, so this is the postures that we see throughout all of the scriptures, and they're beautiful. Uh, I, I want to show you something because specifically here, one of the things that, uh, that I've learned that is so beautiful, and, and this actually is a part of my wife and my culture, not me personally, but she used to be a part of a team that, that used body movement in, in worship for dance. She used to lead a, a high school girls dance team um, that would help us at, at the church that I was employed at before um, that I served to help us um, move into worship in cool ways. But two weeks ago uh, at the Martin Luther King celebration um, at Hempfield, or I, I always say that, I, I came from Lancaster County and Hempfield United Methodist Church was one we talked about all the time. Newark United Methodist Church uh, that we were in, um, we were there for a shared celebration of, of MLK and it was this beautiful dynamic worship gathering and speakers that were, that were inspiring in the, in the character of Dr. King. And, uh, and anyways, this one young lady, she must have only been 12 or 13, during one of the um, choir numbers, she did a dance, um, a, a liturgical dance. And it was so moving. And I'm, it's not going to be able to do justice, but we actually have a, um, a uh, recording of it. So I want you to just pause for just two minutes and just notice the beauty and the freedom of her life expressed in movement and how it can help us even move into to the, the love and, and the care of God. So, um, so yes, let's, uh, let's play this. And you can turn it up nice and loud, Sean.
stand on your feet. Give them a hand clap of praise. know when Pastor Blaine's in the house. Um, so the, the reason I share with you is just imagine, so, so some of us are really drawn, rightfully so, we actually talk about contemplative spirituality all the time, but just think about how much the body of Christ would be missing if these expressions weren't also a part of how we understand God's beauty and connection with God. Like we need all of it and, and, and to learn to both embrace it and maybe in your own ways even Practice some of these things um, as, as ways to grow your own connection with God in new ways can be absolutely life-giving and, and beautiful. Um, so, so adjusting your posture for postures of humility and postures of freedom can be such a beautiful opportunity um, to connect with God. So the, the second thing that we, uh, we're going to talk about, this one's going to be easier. Um, so... was then that I carried you. Okay, um, this, we're going to talk about going on a journey. Ways that you can embrace physicality in our faith and movement on our faith um, is, is to embark on a journey in some way. I want to talk for a minute about pilgrimage, okay? A word that I don't think has ever maybe been mentioned in 12 years of Life Path's existence. Uh, I, I want to talk about pilgrimage. In, in uh, the, the book of Psalms, in chapter, let's see if I can get it back here. It might not go. Let's, let's throw chapter, yeah, 85 there. Um, somebody can confirm if that's 84 or 85. I have 84 in my notes, but I don't have it right in front of me right now. So it's either Psalm 84 or 85. One of them is a typo. But blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. That's very, very flowery language. Um, in the, uh, the message paraphrase, how blessed all those in whom you live, whose lives become roads you travel. They wind through lonesome valleys, come upon brooks, discover cool springs and pools brimming with rain. God traveled 
These roads curve up the mountain, and at the last turn, Zion's the city of God in full view. So just the same, same passage in, uh, in two different translations, uh, one translation, one paraphrase. But the point of pilgrimage to the Jewish people, it meant something very specific. It meant that if possible once a year, but often it was not, often it was, it was much more rare than that, they would go on a journey to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship. And, and they, would, they would be moving toward God, but with God. And, and sometimes we overbake the idea that like God's presence dwelt in the temple. They did believe that in a, very, in a very unique way, that God's presence was in the temple. But they also, just like us, did believe that God's presence was everywhere. They could pray in their homes hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, and God would still hear them and be with them. They had the stories of the Old Testament of God meeting people on mountains and everywhere here. But it was special. They, they knew that as they were traveling to Jerusalem, they were going to a place with the presence and the power of God, but to experience the presence and the power of God in a unique way. And, and I, now, we don't believe that God's presence dwells in any specific place, but there may be places that for us, we become more susceptible to experiencing God. There may be things that as we choose to embark on certain journeys, that we are more open and available to experience God's goodness. And so I want to encourage you to think maybe about what it might look like to embark on a journey. And that can be something very, very small and simple in your life, or it can be something more significant. The Psalms, by the way, Psalm 120 to 134, they're all called pilgrimage psalms. So it was songs that they wrote in a joyful spiritual journey. Some of them are called songs of ascents because they were going up to Jerusalem. And so it's all of these, these things about we're on a journey moving toward God, but it was physical. It wasn't just that someone was writing it like in their study. They were actually walking toward Jerusalem. As they said, we're on a journey toward God. And so, so I wonder what that might, what significance something like that might hold for you or I. Um, a few years ago, one of my, uh, one of my professors, so, so let's just do this. When I talk about pilgrimage or embarking on a journey, I'm talking about moving toward God with God on purpose. Okay? A few years ago, one of my professors, uh, Brian Zond, and his wife, they, they traveled uh, to the El Camino. Has anyone ever, ever heard that, that phrase before? Uh, the Camino de Santiago? Yeah, it's, um, it's a footpath that traverses many of Spain's historic holy places. It's 500 miles long. It takes quite some time. You stay at hostels along the way, and there's little chapels all the time. And it's no longer done just primarily by Catholics. Um, and, and so people do it, some people do it without any spiritual foundation just because it's a cool trail to hike. You know, it's like a historic version of the, of the AT, of the Appalachian Trail. Um, but, but some do it as a pilgrimage to be more intentional about a physical journey where they are tuned in to God's heart in some new ways. And he wrote a book about it. It was really this profound experience. Each time he went into a chapel, he would pause at the cross and just take in the beauty and reflect. And he committed himself to notice each time, every single chapel, and to pause and make note of the cross or the crucifix. And, 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 and center himself back toward, toward Jesus. Um, and it was interesting when he was, this was years ago, but when we were all, a bunch of us students were having lunch with him, he was talking about it. And he, one of the things that he said, um, he didn't use his cell phone at all on the trip. And, and he said that as he traveled, he walked his soul into a good, healthy space. I walked my soul into a good, healthy space. I loved, I loved that. 
um, you know, I have a, a hope that sometime in 2024, um, I'll have the opportunity to go to Israel. And that will, in, in one way, it'll be a pilgrimage of sorts for me um, to spend some time where Jesus lived and walked along the Sea of Galilee and, and simply reflect on that. Not that God's presence is any stronger there than in this space right now, but that there's opportunities to move towards spaces where in our own lives we might be more open. We might be more tuned in, and it takes a journey to get there. Um, so it could look like that. Even when we do, if you notice, uh, within church traditions and even when we do Stations of the Cross during Holy Week sometimes, we've had, um, we've had art pieces set up around all around the outside of this room in the past. I don't know if we'll do that this year or not. But they're Stations of the Cross. Do you notice that we don't just have you sit here and look at them on the screen? We have you move. It's only 10 feet, but you move from one place to another because there's something about moving with Jesus that helps us in one tiny, tiny, tiny way experience a journey that Jesus took. And so, so there's things like that. We have um, a rollout labyrinth. How many of you have heard of a labyrinth before? Some of you? Okay. So a labyrinth is essentially, if you look at it, you're like, is this a maze? Um, but it's not a maze. It's not a maze. It has one direct path toward the center. But it looks like a maze from up top. It's a historic thing. that It's been used for prayer for 500, 600 years um, by now. And, uh, and so what it is, we have, a, we have a cloth that has one painted on it. It's, it's you know, probably about 30 feet. Um, and and you, you follow the path around, and it weaves toward the center. And the purpose of that is to give your body movement, but also each time that you pause at an intersection, you say, Lord, what intersections am I, am I at, and where do I need you to lead me? And you pause there for as long as you need to. And then you take a turn, and it moves you toward the center, but then part of the path often takes you back toward the outside again, <laughs> because this often represents all sorts of things in our own life. And by moving we experience a new openness to what God might be speaking to us. There are ways to experience this. It could be as simple as a prayer walk, right? Maybe you at some point decide that you want to travel back to a place that was significant in your spiritual journey. Or maybe it's just across your neighborhood and you're on a journey to pray for your neighbors, that God's love would be available in a, in a unique way to them that they would experience God's goodness. Maybe it's a walk in the woods, but you choose a tree that is a tree that helps bring you into um, a razor-sharp reminder that, Jesus, you are my center, and, uh, and I want to live a life that is as beautiful and well-rooted as this tree. And so each time you journey toward it, making yourself available. This can look like all sorts of things. The point being, embarking on a journey whether it's, I don't want it to be totally metaphorical, but whether it's a big trip or a simple little walk, could even be to a special spot in your house that is a, a, a meaningful prayer spot, um, can be some new way of experiencing God. All right. So, um, all right, we're going to carry on. So, uh, let's see. Let's do one more. Um, making it up as we go here. I do reflect a lot on content before our, our gatherings. I just don't reflect on the pictures that I'm going to draw on the whiteboard. I just want you to, like, trust me here. Um, and let's do some of this. There we go. All over the place. I want to talk about redirecting your normal activities. So, um, redirecting your activities falls in line with Colossians 3.17, what 
whatever you do in word or deed, do it all toward God. Do it all giving thanks, okay? And so the idea is that there might be things in your life that actually open you up to connecting with God, but you've never used them in that way before. So um, this is, and they're physical. So um, I used to do, I'm not involved right now, but I used to really enjoy a yoga practice, and I found I did it because I was a runner, and I wanted better flexibility. So I agreed with my wife to do it at the Y uh, once a week for 45 minutes. What I found was that that became this incredible opportunity for prayer. Because in yoga, you're often encouraged to find a, you know, a centering word or phrase. And for me, that just became, what's my centering prayer today? All right. Lord, I need your peace. Or help me see people. Or whatever it might be. Or you are love. And I found that by physically moving and being, paying attention to my breathing, that this became something that was very, very helpful to me. Um, for me, I'm a very physical person, so my running is now a very spiritual thing for me when I'm out running in the woods alone. Um, it's, it's all these breath prayers as I'm going. But it could look something very different for you. Um, I, I remember that, uh, that one of you was telling me that um, when you're stressed out, that stretching intentionally has become this prayerful experience where you're open up more than if you would just be like, okay, Lord, I need to just be still and need you. There's something physical about like literally opening up your body and your spirit in new ways um, that, that can help you. So, um, you know, what, it could look like doing the dishes. Literally, it could look like redeeming certain activities and saying, you know what, there's an opportunity here for me to be thankful. There's an opportunity here for me to develop a heart of love and service toward God. Maybe it's... Um, you know, maybe it's uh, knitting, <laughs> and there's, there's something about using your hands that reminds you, I'm just going to say, okay, let's pull that, let's, let's have fun. Let's, uh, Psalm 139, when you knit me in my mother's womb, this idea of I'm made by God. So every time that you knit, if it's a habit that you already enjoy, what if now all of a sudden it reminds you that you are created by God and you have incredible worth that nothing could ever change? Like, like what if we did this with all of our lives, friends? All of our lives. What if everything that we did was a metaphor? Do you feel like, like, like I'm looking right at you right now, Kim, since you're knitting? We talked about this. I hope you don't mind me sharing. Kim was like, I hope you don't think that when I knit, that that means like I'm not like tuned in. It's just very helpful for me to use my hands. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, yes, this is how I'm wired. Like, I take about a mile and a half worth of steps. My, my watch tracks it on a Sunday morning on stage, so... I understand. But, but see, these things can be so beautiful instead of seen as like, oh, I just got busy hands, you know. Instead, it's like, points me back toward Jesus. And it's beautiful. You're made this way. It's okay. We got so much hang-ups about our bodies. Okay. Um, finally. All right. So anyways, what movements can be redeemed? Think about it in your own life. And finally, this one's kind of weird. Um, I have no idea. One of you call out something that I'll make after this because I've just got a word right now. Um, so the final one is adopting fresh habits, okay? So we'll, we'll come up with an image here in just a minute. Um, adopting fresh habits is the, the fact that movement can take place in really simple daily habits. Maybe we call this micro-movements. Um, and, and here's where I think that there's such beauty in the history of the church that we aren't a part of. Okay, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, do you know that, that when, you, uh, when you cross yourself, 
when you cross yourself in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's a habit that you do to remind you of every moment where you experience God's blessing. So if you're Eastern Orthodox and you are walking outside and you notice the beauty of the sunrise, then you cross yourself because you are aware uh, that God just gave you a gift. When you have a beautiful moment with your family, when you have an opportunity to serve and care for somebody, there's an opportunity to cross yourself. Like, what a beautiful habit. Sometimes we look at these things as just like rote and empty practices. But that's because we let them become rote and empty practices, right? You know, how many of you drinking your coffee in the morning is a rote and empty practice? Like, that is so much meaning for me, right? I love drinking my coffee in the morning, but I do it every single day. Doesn't it become boring, you know? By the way, communion in the Protestant church is the only practice that Jesus taught us to do that we sometimes argue that the more we do it, the less meaning it would have. I should only love my enemies once a year. You know, because otherwise, if I love my enemies every day, gosh, it's going to lose all its meaning. And I grew up in a practice where we only practice communion once a quarter, you know, like four times a year. But, like, but there's beauty in why we choose to come to the table every day or every Sunday. So, so anyways, you, you see what I'm meaning. Like, there are these tiny, tiny little practices. Um, in the Catholic Church, when you uh, cross in front of, of the, the tabernacle, which holds the, the, the body and bread, um, you are required to do something called genuflection. Some, some of you have backgrounds here. I'm hoping I'm not triggering anybody with this. But here's the point. There's beauty in there that can also become meaningless. But what that means is that you pause and you face the body, the body and blood of Christ and, and you kneel and you just redirect yourself toward Jesus so that you don't miss honoring Jesus. And so, so think about these moments I don't know. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you when we share communion in just a, a couple minutes. I'm going to invite you at your seat, if it's meaningful, to take a moment and either bow a knee or cross yourself or do something that says, Lord, I want to move toward you. Because there are so many little practices. Maybe it's something when you get into your car, right? Maybe on your little unlock button, you take whiteout. Does whiteout exist anymore? I don't know. On your key and, or a white marker and you put a little... You put a little cross there. Just remind it, okay, I'm going to start my day. I want to be centered on the love of Jesus. Something, something small that you can do, that you can express in some way. Have a fresh habit. There's so much interesting things. Like, um, oh, by the way, I, did, I wanted to tell you this because it's, um, it's cool. I forgot the, within the Catholic Church there. Because, again, Protestants and Catholics have really bloody past, so... I think it's really important that we understand where there's beauty that we can see shared, shared ground. Um, but, but the three things that happen when, when you do that genuflection that, are spo- that it's supposed to represent as you move toward Jesus, it's supposed to represent humility, service, and love. So the humility that I talked about of bowing, um, the service is like, you know when Aragorn gives his, his sword to Frodo? You know, when he's like, you can have my sword. You know, like, not actually have his sword, but like, I'm going to protect you, like, I want to serve you when they get ready to go out in Lord of the Rings. Like, it's those sorts of moments that are reminded of, um, and love is the final, the final thing that that's supposed to represent. So, um, and this, you know, we can root this stuff at the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, every knee will bow one day, this vision that everybody will experience the goodness and the love and the grace of God, that they will see Jesus for who Jesus really is, instead of a caricature for power or control or judgment. So, so there's such beauty out here. Um, 
Let me just say a quick word again about going through the motions. Because, like, when you want to learn something, if you are playing baseball and you want to learn how to be a good, consistent batter, do you know what you have to do? You have to go through the motions over and over and over again until it becomes natural. So sometimes we need to actually learn to practice new things and to be willing to go through the motions some until new things become natural ways of connecting with God. Um, none of this, none of this is prescriptive, by the way. I'm just trying to open our eyes together to, in some unique ways um, to explore God's love in, uh, in fresh ways. So what motions do you need to start going through until maybe you are naturally oriented toward Jesus all the time? That's a journey for all of us. Um, the beauty and freedom in all of this is that like we started with, with what Jess led us through, God with us, the, the story of the incarnation is that God moves toward people and then God invites people to move toward him and toward one another. So Jesus comes into the world, becomes something new, walks on the earth, comes toward humanity and then says, hey, come and follow me. Rechacharai. Come and join me in this journey, and I'm going to teach you how to be people of good news for the world around you. It's all movement-oriented, and there's, and there's beauty there. Um, so, is it any surprise that Jesus meets us and moves us through movements of our own God-given bodies? Um, there's so much grace, so many opportunities to just move deeper in spiritual health and to celebrate how other people and other traditions connect with God and enjoy God's goodness. So let's just pray and pause, and then we're going to chat about a couple, of, um, a couple of questions that we'll throw up on the screen, if anybody has uh, some shared learning, and then, uh, and then we'll go from there. Lord, we are uh, trying to be more aware and accepting of our own God-given bodies. And I, I pray that you would break down barriers, whether that's literally that we're uncomfortable because of our culture, or maybe we're uncomfortable because our bodies have been made to feel shame. But I, I pray that you would free us up to use our bodies in beautiful ways to lean closer to who you are, to express love for you, and to love the world around us in deeper ways out of that connection. Just help us grow, Lord. Amen.